Good evening and uh, welcome. Um, what a beautiful day today, huh? I'm really excited for spring. Um, welcome to our Wednesday night fellowship. I'm really glad that you're here. Uh, this is a time of week where we come together to feast on good food uh, with good friends and to hear from God's word. All semester long, we've been doing a relationship series, um, looking at our relationship with God, with ourselves, with others, with the world. We said at the beginning, at the outset of the semester, that the quality of our life is best measured by the quality uh, of our relationships. And tonight, we're going to look at a special relationship that we have with our work uh, and with our rest. As you're going to see from the verses 8 to 11 in tonight's passage, we are supposed to work six days and then take the seventh off. But let me put our passage into some context. God has just liberated his people. He's rescued them from slavery. Okay, for 400 years, God's people were slaves in Egypt. For 400 years, uh, they worked seven days a week, never taking a day off. Because that's what slaves did. They always work and they never rest. But God has rescued them from that kind of life. He says, you are slaves no more. Your sons, your daughters, don't do that. Don't revive what God has removed. Don't place yourself in a yoke that God has smashed and scattered. For freedom, I have set you free. So what does God do? After liberating them from Egypt, he gives them a charter for freedom. A declaration of independence, if you will, which we know is the Ten Commandments. So this is how free people are to live. Let's look at it with me. And God spoke all these words saying, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that's in heaven above or that's in the earth beneath, or that's in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of generations, those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy, Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord God made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that's in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his onkey, or his donkey, or anything, an onkey, <laughs> or anything that is your neighbor's. This is God's word. There are three things that I want to highlight from today's text. First is in order to rest, we need to work hard. Secondly, in order to work hard, we need to rest. And thirdly, practice makes progress. In order to rest, we need to work hard. In order to work hard, we need to rest. 
Practice makes progress. Before we look at these things, let's pray. Father, thank you for bringing us together tonight. Thank you for feeding us good food. Thank you for now feeding us with your word. I pray by your spirit you would help us to see what we need to see and hear what we need to hear. You make our hearts sensitive to receive what you want to say to us tonight and to rightly apply it to our lives. Help us to know how to be rightly related to our work and to our rest. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You need to work hard to rest well. Okay, this is the first biblical principle I want to call uh, your attention to tonight. The command to rest that we see in verse 10 is preceded by the command to work. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work. I know uh, a lot of you have a hard time resting. But I think a lot of you are not resting well because you aren't working hard. I know that's hard to hear. And I know that sounds ludicrous to some of you because you're going to say, I'm so busy. But hear me out. Busyness is not the same thing as productivity. Being busy is not the same thing as doing good or hard work. Let me give you an example of this from my own life. Okay, this is how I used to write sermons until fairly recently. I would go up to my attic. I would bring my phone up with me and I would lay it on my desk face up. Next, I would open up my laptop. And the first thing I do when I open up my laptop is to open up Gmail. Do I have any like, new messages in my inbox? And while I'm at it, I'm going to open up Facebook. Is there any new messages or notifications or likes? After, chase, after checking Facebook and email, I'd open up Microsoft Word to start typing a sermon. But I keep Gmail and Facebook on just sort of in the background in case, you know, something dings. I'd start typing and maybe I get one or two lines in when all of a sudden this phone that's on my desk, it lights up, starts buzzing. I look, it's one of you. Can we get coffee on Thursday? 2 p.m. Take, you know, switch out of Word. I open up my Google Calendar and I find Tuesday and see, yeah, 2 p.m. works. So I get back on my phone and I text you, yeah, 2 p.m. works, smiley face. (laughs) I start working again. Phone rings. Two minutes later, it's Megan. Hey, sweetie, it's me. Um, I need you to pick up Willa at 3 o'clock. And if you can't, I need you to contact Nana Jana and have her pick her up. She's got a dentist appointment. And, oh, don't forget, bring the cookie dough that's in the basement up so it can thaw and we can have it ready for Wednesday night. Willa, Nana Jana, dentist, cookie dough. That reminds me, I need to get on Mozilla and send you all a text to remind you to come to Wednesday night fellowship. Then I get back to my sermon. This is how I would write sermons. And let me tell you, I felt so busy. <laughs> Juggling email and Facebook and phone calls and texts. I was a busy guy. Now let me tell you how I write sermons. I plug my phone in and I leave it downstairs. I walk up to the attic and I open up my laptop. I immediately turn my Wi-Fi off. I set a timer for 90 minutes, and I write and I read without distraction for 90 minutes straight. When the timer goes off, I go downstairs, I get a glass of water. I now let Fella, our new puppy, out to go pee. And then, with my phone still plugged in downstairs, I might check email. I might check to see if one of you has texted me and wants to get coffee on Thursday. I will then leave my phone downstairs, and I'll go back up to my attic. 
I'll keep the Wi-Fi turned off and I'll reset the timer for 90 minutes. And again, I will work for 90 minutes straight without distraction, reading and writing. I'm working hard now, but it's taken me half the time to write sermons, which means I have a lot of time to do other things, like get coffee with you, work on next week's Bible study, take fellow for an extended walk around the block, or even pick up Willa early before the dentist. I'm less busy and I'm doing more. Busyness is not the same thing as productivity. When I ask you, how are you doing? The typical response that I get is, I'm so busy. Now, some of you really do have a lot going on, but that doesn't mean that you don't need rest, because you do. All that that proves is that you need to be that much more intentional in using your work hours for work. For most, your busyness is the byproduct of half-assed work. You're having a hard time resting because, like I was, you're having a hard time working. You're having a hard time resting because you're busy. You're not productive. Busyness is the enemy of rest. And in our culture, busyness is a badge of honor. We wear our busyness proudly because it signals to the world, I'm needed, I'm important, I'm good. But I think we need to change our thinking about busyness a little bit. Alan, you can confirm this for me. In Chinese, the word or pictograph for busyness is two words, killing and heart joined together. Busyness kills the heart. It's a form of heart disease, right? It is a heart diseased. Is that right, Alan? I read that in a book this week. Yeah, all right. Killing and heart joined together. That's what busyness is. In a fantastic book I read uh, called The Rest of God uh, this week, author Mark um, Buchanan writes, Someone asked me recently, what was my biggest regret in life? I thought for a moment, surveying the vast and cluttered landscape of my blunders and losses, the evil I have done, and the evil that's been done against me. Being in a hurry, I said. Pardon? Being in a hurry. Getting to the next thing without fully entering the thing in front of me. I cannot think of a single advantage I've ever gained from being in a hurry. But a thousand broken and missed things, tens of thousands, like lie in the wake of all that rushing. Through all that haste, all that busyness, I thought I was making up time. It turns out I was throwing it away. Working hard and being busy are not the same thing. In order to rest well, You need to work hard. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work. But this brings us to point number two. In order to work hard, we need to rest well. In order to work hard, we need to rest well. Look, we can come at this from two perspectives. There's the utilitarian or the pragmatic approach, as well as the humane or the holistic approach. Why should I rest? 
Well, the utilitarian or pragmatist will say, because you work better when you do. This justification for rest can and should satisfy even the sweatiest of workaholics. I'm able to accomplish more because I rest. Our iPhones are a great example of this. Next to our work, we are most addicted, or we are most addicted to these things. Right? We love to use them, and we want to use them all the time. But if I do not plug this in and let it recharge, it is good for nothing. I am the same way. You are the same way. If I'm going to work hard and work well, I need to rest and recharge too, as surely as my iPhone does. The second approach or justification for resting is the humane or the holistic one. Simply put, a restless life is dehumanizing. It's dehumanizing. Look, you all are made in the image of God. God rests, which means that you and I were made to rest too. Look at verses 10 and 11. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who's within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. God doesn't get tired like we do. So in what sense does he rest? When God rests, he stops to savor what he has made. He takes a step back from his work and he admires it. He's like, dang, that's good. He reflects. He rejoices. And because he rests, we who are made in his image should too. The gift of rest is not just for the privileged. It's for all men and women. It's for young and old. It's for rich and poor. It's for boss and employee, for citizens and refugees. God says we should even give our livestock right, a day of rest too. When we rest, or when we don't rest, what happens? Our bodies break down. We become less productive, yes, right? But those aren't the only reasons why we need to take a break. When we don't rest, we miss out on the good things of life. Sabbath invites us to stop, writes Mark Buchanan again. In that ceasing, fresh possibilities abound. We can shut our eyes if we choose. This is one of Sabbath's gifts, to relax without guilt. But there is also time enough to open our eyes, to learn again Jesus' command to watch and pray. The golden rule of Sabbath rest is to cease what is necessary and embrace that which gives life. Feast with your friends. Walk in the woods. Climb a tree. Climb a mountain. I paint a picture. Ride a bike. Snuggle up with a book, one that you don't have to read for class. When's the last time you did that? Do a puzzle. Take a nap. You have six days to do what needs to be done. 
Use just this one to take away. To rest, recreate, worship, and relax. To reflect and rejoice and even remember. Remember who God is and remember who you are. Someone made in his image. Remember what it means to be his child and remember what it means to be saved. As we've been saying all along, the quality of our life is best measured by the quality of our relationships. And when this work-rest relationship is out of whack, it is a sure sign that your other relationships with God, with others, are out of whack too. It doesn't matter if the utilitarian approach or the humane justification for rest speaks loudest to you. I don't really care. Rest. Rest. The biggest objection I hear is all of this sounds good. I just don't have enough time. I'd love to rest. I just don't have time. You do. Let me help you to find it. Let's say that we take a whole 24-hour day off, just like God says that we should. That leaves us with 144 hours in a week. That's six times 24. Now, let's say that we sleep eight hours a day, like our doctors say that we should. That leaves us with 96 hours left in our week. Now, let's say we eat three times a day. And let's give ourselves an hour for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. An hour for every meal to savor the flavors, to enjoy the company of our friends, to look out the window and not at our screens, to just breathe. So, we've taken an entire day off, we're getting eight hours of sleep every night, and we're enjoying hour-long meals three times a day. We've got 78 hours left in our week. Now, a typical work week, nine-to-five job, is 40 hours a week. Now, you are students, and I recognize that your job as a student is a little bit different. If you're taking 15 credit hours, that translates into 15 hours of in-class work. And the rule of thumb goes that for every hour you spend in class, you should be spending three hours doing homework. So 15 hours in class plus 45 hours of homework equals 60 hours of work a week. That's not unreasonable. That's a lot. It's about what I do. Okay? You're working hard. You've got a lot on your plate. By the world standard, you're busy. But let's return to our math. You decide, I'm going to do what God commands. I'm going to take an entire day off. Sunrise to sunrise, or sundown to sundown, or midnight to midnight, whatever you decide, you're going to take a full consecutive 24 hours off. You're going to sleep eight hours a day, and you're going to have hour-long meals three times a day. You're going to work 60 hours a week. And after all of that is said and done, you still have 18 waking hours left over to do whatever you please. 18 waking hours. That's almost an entire day. To do whatever you want. The problem, my friends, and I say this lovingly, is not that you don't have enough time. The problem is what you are doing with it. Your problem is how you are using it. This brings us to our third and final point. 
Practice makes progress. Practice makes progress. This is the worst timing for a sermon like this. (laughs) This is right before exams. It's when all the final projects are due. You're thinking, I can't afford to take any time off. I'm already overwhelmed as it is. And I hear you. I honor you for being here tonight. Thank you. I know it would be hard for you to take an entire day off work if you're not used to doing that before. So how about this? Starting next semester, starting next semester, you work a day of rest into your schedule. You block it off. And then you do six days of work, starting next semester. But until then, take baby steps in that direction. If you can't take an entire day off right before finals, work for 90 minutes with your Wi-Fi turned off and your phone in another room. Try it. Practice that. Work hard. Practice working hard. Avoid being busy and trade it for just productive work. Try it and try it again the next day. Practice working hard versus being busy. Practice working hard six days so you can rest on a seventh. But the adage goes, practice makes perfect. But forget perfection. Forget it, okay? We have this attitude that if we can't do something perfectly, why bother doing it at all? And if we insist on this, if we insist on perfection or nothing, we will always end up with nothing. I'm not calling you to perfection tonight. I am, and I believe Jesus is, inviting you into progress. Practice makes progress. Look, if knowing rest is a good thing, like if you know that but you don't put it into practice, this knowledge is worthless to you. Perception without practice gets you nowhere. Knowing rest is good and then working it into your life, well, now we're going somewhere. Perception plus practice equals progress. I want you to think about work and rest uh, musically. We'll close with this, okay? I want you to think of your work as the notes that are written on a music sheet. And I want you to think of Sabbath rest as the space in between the notes. Your life is the song that is printed on that sheet. What does it sound like? If there are no notes on the page, which is to say there is no work, There is no song. It's nothing but silence. However, if there is no space between the notes, it's just noise. It's just one note played long and loud, like, which sounds like an alarm. An alarm signals danger. You need both. You need notes on the page, and you need space in between. What is the beat of your song? Do you have a regular rhythm of work and rest in your life? Or is the space between work and rest so erratic that it sounds like this? (laughs) What does your life sound like? 
What does the song of your life sound like? What song is being produced? I love the prayer by St. Francis of Assisi. He says, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. And there are all kinds of instruments in a symphony, aren't there? There are violins and cellos, harps and drums, trumpets and trombones, flutes and horns, xylophones and piccolos. Part of recovering a right relationship with our work and our rest is figuring out what kind of instrument am I? How have I been made? Where does my life fit in this orchestra? But it's not just asking what kind of instrument am I? It's also asking that God would play us well. That he would play us well and he would give us rest. Jesus said he would. He said, come to me, all of you who are weary, who are overworked, heavy laden, come to me and I will give you rest. So let's come to him now and pray that he would.